We're in Ephesians 5. Today I'm calling this possessed by the Holy Spirit. You, you, you hear a lot of things about people being possessed, you know, demonic uh, possession, which happens, by the way. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen deliverance from that. I've seen the results of that, and, I, I, and it works. But as a Christian, we are be, supposed to be, in a sense, possessed by the Holy Spirit. And that is, we're emptied of ourselves, and the Holy Spirit fills us up. And the more you are emptied of self, the more the Holy Spirit can fill you. We were talking about that a lot last week. And from that demarcation point here in Ephesians where he says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now he's about to tell us for the last part of this book what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. And today we're going to talk about some things that that are good and you need to know about. Next week, you need to come back. If your husband or wife doesn't normally attend church, that'd be a great time to do it. If you're, you're both saved and you do normally attend church... Uh, come on back because we're going to start talking about husbands and wives. And, and, and guys, you know, wear rib protectors. You know. uh, and we'll, we will talk about that a lot. Um, you know, when I was first married, I had to go to Janice and say, you know, I think my sermons will have more effect. Instead of saying, you know, if you would just say amen instead of ha. Huh. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> So next week I start the ha sermons, all right? Uh, Listen, I tell people all the time, I'm just preaching to myself and letting you listen in, all right? So uh, as as we go through that, though, we'll learn together. We'll have some fun uh, because uh, sometimes it can be such a serious subject that the people uh, get get all bent out of shape, man. And and there are very unbiblical views prevalent in churches about husbands and wives and what that means. So come back next week for that. Um, not saying today's going to be, well, today's going to be a stinker. Come back next week. No, I'm not saying that. Um, but but, but uh, today we're just talking about something different. I, I remember as a kid, I don't know how old I was, but probably about five. It was around Christmas time. I love music. I, I really love music. My sister uh, is a musician. She can play piano, organ. The organ in our church had three keyboards and a footboard. It was a big, I think an Allen, but it was a Huge organ. He knows what I'm talking about. It was big. She took 12 years of piano, five years of organ. She could play anything uh, that had keys on it. She still does that. She's been playing in churches since she was 14 years old. Um, I won't even tell you where she started because I wouldn't agree with that now. But back then we didn't know any better. But my mom used to have to drive her up to this other church for her to play because she didn't even have a license yet. Uh, and, and so music's important. I, I learned to read music as a kid. I took a couple years of piano, and I've played around with different instruments. Can't play any of them with any proficiency, but I can read music. So I would sit at the piano, and she would get me to turn pages because she would practice and sing. And, and, and she got me to do it because I knew where, when to turn. She would tell me, you know, when I get to that point, turn. So I would watch and, and turn it for her. And then I started singing with her. And one day she stopped and said, listen, you preach, let me sing. I said, I got it. All right. So that's how I was called into the ministry. But no, not, that's not true. But, but I, 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 I don't perform anything well. But let me just say this. So what? That's what you're going to learn today in Ephesians. One of the very most, the first thing almost that God does for us when we come to know him and his spirit comes in is the spirit puts a song in your heart. And so I want you to carry this home with you today. Go on to the next slide, please, friend. Uh, Well, that's the scripture. Go on to the next thing. I'll go back. When the creator God takes up residence in your body or your church, something has to give. All right? Something's got to give. 
There's no way. I had got to give, and, and I see Katie fix that to has to give. I, I was speaking South Carolinian redneck there. Something's got to give. That's what I was trying to say. But thank God she knows English. So I, like I said, I took it as a second language. But uh, if God comes in, man, something's going to change. You can't continue as you were. Jesus never invaded someone's life. No one ever started following Jesus and remained the same. And, and that's why we are trying to get away in Christendom as a whole, really, in North America, from just praying a prayer so you can go to heaven. No, Christianity is a, is, is a 100% total surrender to Christ. There, uh, I had about 10 illustrations run through my head. I threw them all out. Christianity is that it's not a Sunday to Sunday thing. It's not I dress up on Sunday, go to church, and when I finish church, I've done my Christian duty. Christianity is a 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year, 366 on leap year. You don't get leap day off. It is a 100% following of Jesus Christ to know him and to make him known in the world. That's what Christianity is about. And anything less than that is less than what God expects. And so when the Holy Spirit fills us, he fills us completely. He doesn't come in parts or times or whatever. And we, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, probably not enough. We are baptized in the Spirit of salvation. We are filled by the Spirit continually. We are always being filled. And the way you do that is to walk with Christ, to always be emptying yourself of self, letting go of your own desires, your own thoughts, your own actions, and letting Christ fill you up through the Word of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have faith and the Spirit. We have an objective truth as well as a personal presence in our life. Okay, good. Amen. I know you all had to process that a little bit. In Jude, it says, building yourself up in your most holy faith. There's the objective truth of the Word of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the woman at the well, they will worship God in spirit and in... Yeah, if you got spirit without truth, you got a jellyfish, it doesn't matter... If you've got truth without the Spirit, you've got a dead orthodoxy. So, just in my body, I've got bones that give structure to my body. There's also meat on those bones and blood and oxygen and all the things that make me a living creature. Amen? So, in the church, we've got a structured orthodoxy. I'm so glad today we sang, I believe in God the Father. I believe that's the Apostles' Creed, or at least the beginning of it. And, and, and so, we sang that, that we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. And so, as we sing that confession, we're saying to God, we believe you. We, we, we trust that you exist, and we want to follow you. And to be a Christian is not to say, have said a prayer in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or at the end of a service. Being a Christian is having surrendered yourself 100% to becoming like Christ. We are called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. Right? That's what we like to say now. So I'm going to keep saying it, but y'all say it back to me. All right? So look with me in these verses. You can stand up. I've let you sit down a long time today. And beginning in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. 
once again. Father God, we come back to your throne again, Lord. May we not depart from being in front of you in prayer and humility. And Lord, I pray right now that you would fill your church with your spirit, that you would fill us with understanding. Lord, you'd guide my lips, my tongue, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, I do not have the power to feed a multitude. I don't have the resources to feed a multitude, but you do. And Lord, as we surrender ourselves, as I surrender all things to you, I pray that you bless it and break it, and that you would distribute it at your, uh, as, as you will to feed everyone. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you protect us. We know our enemy is active among us, so we bind him right now in the authority in the name of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you give us freedom. We we reject and rebuke him. We ask that you rebuke him, Father. Lord, rebuke our enemy for us today that we might have freedom to hear and obey and respond to your word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, all and sit down. I remember as a little kid, I started to tell you this, and then I messed up. It was around Christmas time, and, uh, uh, and I got off on saying I don't have any talent. Just to emphasize this point, I was about five years old, I guess, and I would... My, my mom and my family, we sat on the fifth pew on that side. And that's the piano side over there. That's the organ side, right? Yeah, he's laughing. He knows. The piano used to be over here. The organ used to be over here, just like it was in the Bible. <laughs> and we were five pews back all the time. And I'm standing there, and we were singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which if you sing it, it's Gloria in Eggshells Deo. That's how you say it. If you're singing it, so it'll sound right. And I was a little five-year-old. All I remember is my mom's hand coming over my mouth. Well, now, I don't, oh, I was, it was obnoxious. I was, as I was, see, when it comes to volume, I, I have two settings, wide open and none. Okay, so I'm, I was just wide open as a little kid, just, you know, as loud as I could go. I was just enjoying it. And, of course, my mom was embarrassed. Her little son was, in, you know, whatever. I asked my mom one time, did you ever think that I'd be a preacher? When did you first think that? Because I was called at age eight, and she said, first time I heard you yell. Uh, that's a true story. So I could be loud, and I would just be singing. I didn't even know the Lord then, but I liked that song, man. You're singing, glory, you know, just almost like a Tarzan yell. I guess that's why I liked it so much. Uh, but it was, it, it was great. And the, one of the first response of a spirit-filled life is there's a song in our heart. I didn't do that well, especially at that age. Now I, I can know enough to be a little quieter. But, but, but I loved it. The Spirit produces music in the Christian. I mean, have you ever sung a great Buddhist hymn? <laughs> ever heard that Muslim solo? I kill you. I mean, you know, what, what do they got? <laughs> right, right, Kareem? It's a religion of death, right? Not a religion of life. But God, the Holy Spirit, puts a song in us. And, and, and even if you can't sing well, guess what? It doesn't say sing. It's, it's a word that means to speak it out, to make a noise in glorifying God. Where, where it says uh, uh, speaking uh, in, in the King James, but in my... Version, it says, addressing one another. It, you see, it said, don't get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. Don't let that number there stop you. When you're filled with the Spirit, you will address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our heart begins to sing. At the, at the Last Supper, it says, and after singing a hymn, they went out. Paul and Silas are chained up in prison. They are singing a hymn, and an earthquake comes and sets them free. In Revelation, 
the martyrs of the revelation and the church is seen uh, at the 144,000. You see it says, and then I saw a multitude could not be counted. And they stood before the throne singing a new song. And the hymn writer said, when I sing that new, new song, it'll be the old, old story that I've loved so long. That Jesus loved me, Jesus died for me, and Jesus saved me. So our personal response then is to start singing. In the church's life from about the year 500 to 1500, the only singing done was by professionals. People didn't even understand what they're saying because they're doing it in Latin or something. And, and they were not allowed to participate. We are to participatory. And some places and churches I now see, uh, in just looking at the culture and the landscape, you go to church and it's just professionals up there singing instead of uh, like we do it with a choir and singers and musicians. That, that, that These guys are not performing for you. They are leading you to sing. You know, Pastor Mike has, 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 has gone to, to, to be a chaplain. And, and, and so I've just met with, the, with all the music people. And I'll just kind of tell you what I think. I think music's important. It's commanded here. It's a command for us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I just meant that Pastor Mike's here. Then that's his problem, you know. But now he's gone. It's kind of my problem to make sure, you know, it keeps happening. I thank God. Brother Chuck here this morning, Miss Kathy next week, and they, they are committed and staying with us. And uh, just as an announcement, I'll tell you, uh, Brother Mark Spurrier, I've asked him to help out leading the praise team bands and things. So we, we're going to continue this, uh, this leadership until God shows us and reveals to us uh, if, if, if he wants someone to come and who he wants to come uh, to help us further in that. So that's enough on that. But, but just understand, but when the Reformation came, when there was a revival, and when we understood that the just shall live by faith, Music re-entered the church where the people sang. And Martin Luther wrote great hymns like, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And we began to sing again the testimony of who Jesus is and who God is and what he did for us. And so we are called to speak. This word, uh, uh, speaking, is a word, laleo. And I only tell you that because it's a word that sounds like what it means. I forget what you call those words. You remember, babe? She used to teach English. She used to tell me this stuff. But somebody remember? It's got yeah, something like that. It's got a long sound word. It means it sounds like what it is. You know, like ribbit. <laughs> Needy. You know, that's that's a frog sound. La leo, get it? La 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 leo. Fa la 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 la. That's the Greek word for sing. <laughs> it means to make a noise to God. Singing and making melody in your heart to God. And so we are making a joyful noise. We are making a noise toward God because He has put the joy in our heart. And so I want you to, I, I've got some questions. Go on to the next slide. Here's some questions I want to answer. Where do we sing amongst each other? Singing and making melody in your hearts amongst yourselves. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so we address each other in our singing. I, I even asked the choir this last week. Uh, why do we sing? What is the purpose of singing? And, and, and many of us would say evangelism. Nowhere in the Bible does it say use music for evangelism. 
just, just a point, not saying you can't, not saying it doesn't happen. I, I know of one music group in the 1980s, because that's kind of where I'm stuck, 70s and 80s. But anyway, there, there was one group laid 800,000 young people to the Lord in concerts. Um, well, I'll quit with the examples, but I know many examples of that. So it can be used, but here's what we are supposed to do. You see, and I don't know how many of y'all are guests in here today. God bless y'all. Thank y'all for coming. Yes, I'm usually this crazy, so don't, don't, don't let it scare you. But, but we come together, we come together as the body of Christ to give glory and honor and worship to God. Okay? So that's why we meet. And then what we hope, the way that God uses what we do evangelistically is a lost person sees us sincerely, honestly glorifying God and they say, wow, who is worthy of such praise? What kind of God would, would draw that kind of sound out of God's people? I mean, some of y'all just don't sing. I'm going to make a harsh statement later, and I, I, if it applies, it applies. That's up to you. But I know why some of you don't sing, because you might not know the song. I get that. And maybe you're not very musically talented. I get that. Very well, I get that. I'm not musically talented either, but... God called me to sing. And I mean, we, you know, I, I know sometimes we've sung some dead songs. And I don't mean Calvary. I just mean in the church there's been some deadness. But if the words are right, then it ought to draw a response out of us, right? It's not the, it's not the musical form because that, that's irrelevant. We have preferences, Brother Chuck was teasing me about that Th- Thursday. I-, I talked about preferences. You have a preference for the kind of sound you like to listen to. So do I. But there's nothing in the Bible about what form of music you're supposed to use, only the purpose of the music. And the purpose of the music is to glorify God. Period. And so I want us to sing to God, making melody in our heart to the Lord. Where do we sing here at church? And brother, listen, if you can't sing here, you're not going to sing out there where lost people are going to make fun of you. And I'm not saying you got to go to work and sing all day. I'm just saying that God puts something in our heart that wants to make noise to, to him. And it says, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You say, what's the difference? The psalm, it, it's, it's mainly the psalms in the Bible, but it's, it's a poem or, or um, any kind of a vocal anthem to God. It's anything that we would address to God. Like, God, you are great, you're wonderful, and we would talk to him. A hymn is a song of praise. It's what God did for us. Now, a, a hymn could also be a song of, of glory to God, but, it, but it's more like a, a testimony. A spiritual song is any song that speaks well of God or teaches us about things in the Christian life. And sometimes we need those, Right? There can be songs of exhortation, of prophetic utterance. There can be songs of, of just joy. But, but we ought to have a purpose in our music. I'm not getting any amens. I know this is a tight t- subject some people get, get upset about. But uh, again, I think there's... Here's the deal. On Sunday morning, we want to be appropriate to the listener. Uh, uh, as I was discussing this with my wife, and she said, I wish there was a way... And so I pulled up a song, because I got like 7,000 of them in my iTunes now. Um, I like music. Um, 
No, I, actually, that's my photos. But I got a lot. Um, but there's, I have this song, and it's a guy speaking Chinese at the beginning of it. But it was in the 80s, so it's real, you know, techno. It's kind of, yeah. And she said, why would you do that? I said, because he's quoting the Bible. And you don't understand what he's saying. And what he is quoting is Ezekiel 33 in the end of the chapter where it says, your speaking is like a song to them, but they don't do what you say. And when that happens, and it will happen, you, they will know a prophet's been among them. name of the song is Room Noise, and the singers were saying, I don't want to just be room noise. I want my song to mean something for the Lord. And sometimes y'all just come in here and you just sing the words because they're on the board. You don't even think about what you're saying. You know, we sing, in the old church, we say, we, we sing sweet hour of prayer, and some of y'all won't spend five minutes talking to God. Right? Church never lies more than it does when it's singing. I surrender all? Really? You did? Everything? I don't think so. You know, we'll work till Jesus comes, or at least till supper. Then we got to take a break. You know, 12 o'clock, preacher, Holy Spirit quits working at 12. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Behold, a believer in whom there is no guile. Amen. No, you know, I, I, I'm just saying, we, 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 we get all bent out of shape about stuff that doesn't matter. What matters is, am I glorifying God in what I'm doing? And so that's what he's saying here, is that how do we sing? We sing in these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. To whom do we sing? We sing to the Lord. As we're going to go to that and think about it, here's a tough statement I was going to say. Our singing comes from our heart. And if the Holy Spirit's not in your heart, you won't sing. And if you're not singing because you're bitter, angry, frustrated, ticked off, Pick your adjective. That means you're filled with self instead of the Lord. I'm sorry. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I get it. But that word psalm means making melody. It just means that we, God puts this melody in our heart. If you can find it, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. That's in the Old Testament, up near the beginning. If you can't find it, no shame. Uh, That's why they put a, a, a... Glossary in the front of your Bible or index so you can find it. But, uh, but it's kind of toward the end of the, the, front, end, uh, the front half. But Second Chronicles chapter 5, this is the dedication of the first temple, Solomon's temple. And just as you're looking there, I want you to be able to see it. For some of y'all that, I've said that as a joke earlier, but if you think only a Bible... Only a Bible. Only a piano and an organ are legitimate instruments to be played in church. You might want to cut this part out of your Bible. And the Levitical singers, Asaph, Herm, uh, Heman, and, and Jeduthun, I can't say their names either. Their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, stood east, and a lyre would be a stringed instrument. By the way, Read Psalm 33.3 in your King James if you don't know it. It says, play skillfully on a stringed instrument with a loud noise. God likes noise. He likes loud noise. Anyway, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpet, uh, trumpeters. And it was the duty of the 
It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Friend, if we will sing praises and worship to our God on high, he might just come down in a way that we couldn't stand. But if you just come and go, okay, i got to stand and sing again. Uh, How great is our God. Sing with me, how great. God's not going to bless that. Even if you don't know the song, fake it. <laughs> Just sing it, man. There's a second response we see in these verses here. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Godward response, the self-response is to sing. The Godward response is to be thankful. We ought to have an attitude of thanksgiving. And, and there are three kind of attitudes that people can have. If, if you just turn your Bible to the book of Luke, I'm going to look in chapter 12, 17, and 18. Go make three points, three verses uh, there, just so you can see. The first one is, it's unnecessary. In Luke 12, we read the story of one of the, we want to say one of the dumbest guys who ever lived. But uh, he looks a lot like us. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? You think you're getting ahead in this world? You're going to die and leave it all. And it may not be tonight. It might not be to your 80 or 90 or 100. But so far, the mortality rate is one to one. Everybody who lives dies. And you're not going to escape it. And this guy made the mistake of thinking he grew the crops. Now, I know he tilled the soil. I know he planted the seed. I know he cared over it, watered it, weeded it, did whatever he had to do. And a crop came up. And so he was diligent in his work, but only God can grow a plant. Did I tell you all about my Japanese friend who came to America knowing no English? Took a summer school course at the University of South Carolina in English to learn English and started seminary in the fall. He could only do one class at a time when he got started. Now he's got a PhD. He lives somewhere in America doing great things. I don't even know where he is now, but Masaru Horikoshi is his name. So that first summer he was here, or the next summer he was here, he learned a lot more English. And a guy from the school decided to take him to see Dirty Harry. (laughs) And I don't even remember the title of that particular movie. But it was the one where Dirty Harry cocks that big old Smith & Wesson 44 and says, Go ahead, make my day. (laughs) And my friend said in the middle of a theater, he heard this Japanese voice say, What do you mean make my day? (laughs) Only God make day. (laughs) He cannot make day. (laughs) He said, Masaru, be quiet. He said, no, no, tell me how he make day, what I mean. 
He said, I'll, I'll explain it later. No, explain now. How he make day? Only God can make a day. So afterwards, he tried to explain to him. It's an idiom. It's, it's just, he said, how would you say it in Japanese? He went, you can't say that in Japanese. <laughs> it just, it doesn't work. We forget that God is the source, that God is the one who made today. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Right? And so we're to be thankful. And this guy made the mistake of thinking he grew the crops. His hands had done the labor. So therefore, it was the fruit of his labor. And because he took that selfish attitude, he lost it all. But when we realize that the day when God rewards us for our work, that it was not the work of our hands, but the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we will throw the crowns he gives us at his feet, for he alone is worthy. So you might as well get in the habit now of being thankful. Be thankful always, really. So one attitude toward Thanksgiving is, well, it's not necessary because I did this. And you, you find that among lost people. Well, I, I'm a self-made man. Really? Okay. When God cuts off your oxygen for five minutes, you tell me about that. <laughs> Secondly, there's an attitude of hypocritical thankfulness. In Luke 18, 11, and 12, another great warning passage. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, who was very religious, oh, let me tell you, he, was, he went to church every time he was supposed to. He gave every time he was supposed to, plus more. He wore the right clothes. He did the right things. He sang the right songs. But in Luke 18, 11, and 12, it says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, Prayed. I like the way the King James phrases that, praying to himself or praying with himself. It means he's all by himself praying. God's trying to say, I wasn't anywhere near the dude. He's standing there alone making noises, but it's not prayer and it's not toward me. But he stood and he's praying and here's what he prayed. He prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Yay for you. God's like, really? <laughs> the tax collector just hit his chest, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, God, and Jesus says, he went away forgiven. The Pharisee went away with his wealth and his self-righteousness, thinking he was okay, looking down his nose at everybody else, lost and going to hell. So you can come to church dressed up, greased up, ready to go, give all your money, do all the right things, and bust hell wide open. And the difference, if you want an indicator, is how are you thankful? Lost guy doesn't even get it. Religious guy thinks he did it. Or the third attitude is that you're truly thankful. And we see that in Luke 17, uh, in verse 19. Well, begin up there in verse 11. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going between Samaria and Galilee. He enters a village, and ten lepers met him, stood at a distance, lifted up the voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw him. He said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and they were cleansed. By the way, that word cleansed, Jesus never healed a leper. This is, a, this is Bible trivia, but I won't bet you money so I could take you for it. Um, I wouldn't do that. There's a difference between the word healed and cleansed. Healed means it's fixed, but it leaves a scar. Cleansed means it's made brand new. 
He always cleansed lepers. If they'd lost fingers, they grew back. That's what I'm saying. It was obvious they were made whole. Didn't like, well, are things still dying on you? No, they just looked fine again. When Jesus got through with them, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's what he does. He cleanses us, the Bible says. He doesn't just heal us. He makes us brand new. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Did you notice the next three words? At least in my Bible, they come next. Four words. Now, he was a Samaritan. He don't have anything to do with the Jews. He's, he and the Jews are natural enemies. And Jesus answered, Was not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Listen, when you bow before Jesus, and you were a leper, and you were dying while you were living, if you don't understand leprosy, your body is dying, and your skin is We call it necrotizing, which is a big medical word for dying. And your skin is falling off and your body is just deteriorating while you still breathe. And all of a sudden, he cleanses you. He makes you totally new. And you go, wow, that was cool. And go your way. This Samaritan went and went running back to him and fell at his feet saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. When's the last time you looked at your life and said, he took out my stony heart, gave me a heart of flesh. He redeemed me. I know where I, I, who I am. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Jesus has redeemed my life from the enemy. He has set my feet on a solid rock. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to worry. Nothing in this life can now affect me, bother me, or tear me down because I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Thank you, Jesus. Every day. And so thankfulness is a sign that maybe you're saved. And in fact, in Psalm 100 verse 4, it says we come into his presence with thanksgiving. If you want, you you having trouble getting to God, just start thanking him. Thanking him for what? Everything. I remember I was in seminary, too poor to pay attention in my car. I, I went to the gym, went and got in the car to crank it and it wouldn't crank. It wouldn't turn over, nothing. Tried to jump it, wouldn't work. Thankfully, across the street from a service station, went over there. They said, we'll bring it over. We'll work on it. And I'm going, how am I going to pay for this? A couple of days, next day, I get a call from them. And uh, this was before cell phones, young people. There was one phone attached to the wall in the hall of the house in which I lived. And so the phone rang. They said, hey, Stuart, it's for you. Go to the phone. The guy said, hey, so-and-so from this station got your car ready it was a dead spot on your flywheel we we just turned it over manually and now it cranks and it's fine I said what's that cost he said just come get your car I hung up going praise the Lord hallelujah I mean I went excited some guy said he popped out and said what's going on with you and I told him the story and he said would you have done the same thing if they'd have called and said it cost five hundred dollars and in that moment I realized no I wouldn't have I would have Worried, been fretful, angry. Why is this happening? I can't believe this. Are you thankful in everything? See, here's some times to be thankful. You ought to be thankful when you're blessed. I mean, it's okay to be thankful when God does something great, right? We just got finished saying that. You ought to thank him. Man, God, look what you did. We appreciate it. Second time you ought to be thankful is when you expect to be blessed. 
Oh, Jehoshaphat, the enemy's coming to destroy them. And Jehoshaphat gathered the priests and the singers together and they sang thanksgiving to God and God routed the enemy. They didn't even have to go out and fight him. And so when you don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to be thankful anyway, you see a blessing, maybe it's coming, maybe it's not. But see, the Bible says God is good and everything he does is good. And if God has put it in your life, it is good. And it is there for your growth. It is there for your edification. It's there for you to learn something, to be more like Jesus. So when you face tragedy, when you face difficulty, God is molding his image in your life. And that is a good thing because that has eternal value. But we get all bent out of shape when our car doesn't start, right? Back to my illustration. And then you ought to be thankful when you're not blessed. I, I had this written down before we came in this morning, but Brother Bobby Sims and I in prayers morning, we got talking about this, and I told him I, it was in the sermon. We, we all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? What did God do for Daniel in the lion's den? Why was Daniel in the lion's den? Thank you. Y'all good. Whew, y'all learned the Bible. Amen. There, Daniel had some enemies in government. And they didn't like Daniel because Daniel's in the government and he worshiped God. And they said, there's no way we can catch him on anything unless it has to do with his God. Couldn't tempt him with women, couldn't tempt him with song, couldn't tempt him with anything else. So they made a rule that you can't pray to anybody but the king. And the Bible says Daniel, knowing that they had signed, the king had signed off on that, went to his room as he had done previously and prayed to God. And the results were, they threw him in a lion's den. He didn't know whether he was going to be blessed or not. And in that moment, he wasn't blessed. He was breaking the law. But he was obeying the higher law. The law of God. And so in the lion's den, God delivered him. But I like what his companions that we commonly call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they went to throw them in the fiery furnace because they would not bow down to that idol. They said, our God that we serve is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't be it known to you, O king, we're not going to worship your idol. We will die before we'll do that. God delivered them. But friend, church history is replete with those that God did not deliver that way. He released them from their body to be in his presence, but they were martyred. They went to death. And by the way, in case you don't know it, more Christians have died for the cause of Jesus since 1900 than died from the crucifixion of Jesus to 1900. More have died in the last century and 20 years of the church than died in the first millennium of the church. In the last century, we've had more deaths for Christ than we had in the two millennial before that. Two millennium, not one. And so, thankfulness is not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of obedience. You know who said that? Johnny Erickson Tata. Girl's been in a wheelchair since she was 17. She's older than I am. She's 60-something. And she said, thankfulness is a matter of obedience, not a matter of feeling. So, we ought to be thankful even when we're not blessed. And by the way, in Romans 1.21, and you don't have to turn there, but it says this about those who are totally depraved. It says, well, we all were depraved, but those who have given into it all. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man is the center of the universe. Man has all the wisdom. Man knows everything. 
I was just reading a scientific article this week on a fossil they found. Or they, 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 there's this cave in France, and they went in and they found structures that were man-made, and they were so old, the things that were broken by their dating, which is not accurate anyway, but if it, if it were, there's still an explanation, but they, they, they found these man-made structures that predated their thinking it would ever happen. And I just, as I read that thought, and I'm supposed to trust you when you tell me that I came from a monkey? And you don't even know this? You can't even tell me why a baby's born when a baby's born. Did you know that? They don't know. They know the baby gives the signal, but they still don't know why. They still don't know what. They still don't know how it happens. And in fact, at the University of Chicago in the obstetrics school, there are these big granite plaques of men who graduated from that college that made advancements in obstetrics. And there's a blank one there. The doctor that delivered my first two children told me this. Because that's where he went to school. He said, there's a blank one there reserved for the man who figures out what it is that a baby sends to the mother to signal its birth. And I'm supposed to believe you when you tell me for sure I came from a monkey. I don't think so, Tim. I would rather open the Word of God and read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And be thankful for it. Amen. And let's be thankful for it. So, the third thing, and we're not even going to get into it, not only is time, but just because. My response to, to self is to sing. My response toward God is thankfulness. But my response to others is submission. I am to submit myself. Have a spirit of humility. And next week, as I said, we'll start getting into that. What does it mean to be submissive in my role as a husband, father, wife, mother, and other things. So let me just say some things you could do this week. First of all, sing your God song. What song has God put in your heart? It might be something we sing at church. It might be something else. You might find yourself singing something that you never heard before that God put in your heart. Just sing it. Sing it like nobody's listening. Make the person sitting beside you at the red light think you have lost your mind. Secondly, express your thankfulness at least five times a day. I've made that number up. Do it once a day. Do it 20 times a day. I don't care. But be conscious of, I need to be thankful. What is God doing in this moment? Why is God letting this happen? Why am I in this situation? I'm going to be thankful to God for what's in front of me. Thank you, God, my car doesn't start. Thank you, God, that my tire went flat. Thank you, God, my boss just chewed me out because I needed to learn some things that I didn't know before. Thank you, God, that you brought this or that or the other thing in my life. Say, well, some of that's kind of hard. Yeah, I know. Corey Tinboom was in concentration camp with her sister, and her sister said, God told us to be thankful in all things. And she said, how can we be thankful here? She said, well, we can be thankful we're together. She said, well, that's true. We can be thankful they didn't discover the Bible you smuggled in. She said, well, that's true. We can be thankful for all the fleas in this particular building because their building was eat up with fleas and none of the other buildings were. She said, now, hold on. I can be thankful for the first two things, but I can't be thankful for fleas. She said, God said be thankful in all things. So they prayed and thanked God for the fleas. And then they discovered that the guards wouldn't come into their shack to rape them because of the fleas. Be thankful in all 
things. You might, your car might not have started because there's going to be a bad wreck on 81 and you'd have been right in that spot at that moment. Just be thankful. And just roll with it. Number three, realize that we're all connected by blood. The blood, the blood of Christ. So do your part in the body. How can we sing in harmony if we're not living in harmony? How can we make melody in our hearts to God together if I've got something against a brother or sister in Christ? Or if I'm looking at you suspiciously or I don't like something about you. That's an ungodly attitude because you may not like me. You may not like this tie I'm wearing. You may not like how I dress. You may not like how I talk or anything else. But I'm your brother in Christ. You stuck with me. You can make, you, can, you got choices and friends, but you stuck with your family. And we're all family. And so we ought to get, listen, God loves you just as much as he loves me. And so how can I love you less than God loves you?